Luke chapter 6. As I mentioned before, Pastor Marty began this portion of Scripture, this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, the Beatitudes. This sermon, Marty began July 30th. I was in Arizona there doing a wedding, and he began this sermon, and now we've been trying to press through and finish it, and we're going to finish it today, okay? And we're going to go through a lot of text in order to do that. As a matter of fact, you could take what we're going to learn today. There's six principles that I'll pull out and give to you to chew on, six principles. You could take each principle and make it a teaching in and of itself, but I'd like to get through this sermon before Jesus returns in the flesh. So we're just going to go ahead and we're going to go, I just got to do it, got to do it. So I'm going to give you these principles, okay? There's six of them in totality, six. You should write them down and consider them. Here's the deal. Principles are timeless and true. They don't change. They don't need adjustments. They don't, they don't adapt or evolve. They're principles, foundational. Here's the deal, though. You do adjust, you do adapt, you do evolve in your spirituality. You do change, and so does culture. And so I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to take principles that are timeless and to make them applicational and applicable to these lives that are very diverse and many. In other words, I'm going to tell you what's true, and I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to kind of sit next to you and put it right between your eyes and say, that's for you right there. That one's the one you needed to hear today. Out of those six principles, here's the application. Everyone say application to the principle that won't change that you need to hear today. It's not very fair to jump right into the middle of someone's sermon and just kind of pick up where somebody left off. If you were to show up halfway through the sermon here, you would walk in and go, that guy's beard's too big, and you would leave. You would just, that guy, I can't handle what's going on here, you know? And my wife and I were actually, I mentioned in Arizona a couple of weeks ago, and when you're traveling and in the hotels, you get the opportunity to turn the TV on and flip through the channels, which if you're like me, you don't have a TV, so you don't get to do that. And so we were doing that, flipping through the channels, and I would stop at all the preaching stations, okay, for as long as I could handle it, and then turn it up, ugh, you know? Ah, you know, cringe, ah, keep going, you know, and, and, and it wasn't very fair because I'm jumping right into the middle of these sermons that are happening, ah, you know, and, but I, I, this one guy, I don't even remember his name, and he's preaching, and I was just listening right in the middle, and right in the middle, I could tell he's preaching the truth. It was really, really rare, to be honest with you, and he preached, and he, I was waiting for him to say something weird or something foolish, and he didn't. He just kept preaching the truth, and right in the middle of his sermon, so I want you to understand, right here in the very middle of the sermon, Jesus uses what I believe a foundation for receiving this particular message, because this message he taught once, twice, thrice. I would call this Jesus' favorite sermon because wherever he went, he would start teaching the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, whether the abbreviated version or the full-length version. He would teach this. Now, I can imagine the 12 apostles that traveled with Jesus. A big crowd would show up. They'd be like, Lord, look at all these people, and Jesus wouldn't be smiling. He'd say, yeah, there's a lot of them. I better give them my number one sermon. I better give them the truth because Jesus wasn't ever necessarily impressed with big crowds he was always, though, motivated to accomplish big people. He always wanted people to have big roots and big fruits. The masses alone isn't what convinced Jesus that he was successful. Instead, like a shepherd, he would go after the one, and he would preach the message that would change people's lives. They would force their roots down and force fruits to come out. Part of me and my own foolishness would be convinced that big crowds in and of themselves mean success. Eh. It's when Christians begin to put their roots down deep. And so Jesus would look at the crowds like in today's sermon and begin to preach this message. Now, I also wonder if the apostles, when they heard Jesus preach, blessed are the poor in spirit. And he would go on then to teach the Beatitudes. I wonder if Peter would roll his eyes, Peter the apostle. Uh, how many times are you gonna preach this message? 
He needs to go to sermonspice.com and get some more material. You know, doesn't Jesus have the internet? And, you know, Jesus would teach this. I just wonder, you know, like I've heard this message. Check this out. If you follow Peter's teachings as he would grow and become a, a real apostle, if you would, getting pulled through a knothole backwards, he would then replicate the same things he heard from Jesus. He would then teach the same stuff. Same with the Apostle Paul. Same with James. Same with all the disciples of Jesus would eventually, when it was their turn to lead and write the Bible, they would say, let me tell you something. And they would just steal from Jesus what he taught. Matter of fact, 2 Peter chapter 1, read it later. This is actually what Peter says. He says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Stop right there, eyes up here. Peter says this, because I'm going to remind you of the stuff you already know, even though you're even established in it. This is like no-brainer stuff, theology 101. This is like the, ba- the brass tacks, the basics. I'm going to tell you over and over and over, because that's what Jesus did to me, and that's what it takes in order for it to go through my thick skull down into my feet and into my life. So too, I believe you guys are all believers here. I'm just going to choose to believe that. If you're not a believer here, you're just tasting and seeing if the Lord is good. Trust me, he is. You need to give your life to him today. Let him take your sins from you and give to you his righteousness and take you to heaven when you die. And, and I believe you guys are all here. You're, you're that crowd in Jesus' name. And because of that, there's a great responsibility upon you. A couple days ago, they announced the world's richest man in the world. It just changed. It went from Bill Gates to somebody else. You guys know his name? Me neither. Um, <laughs> I think, it, I think it's Jeff, Jeff Bezos is his name. I don't know if I said that last name right. He's the founder and owner of Amazon, okay? And he just became the wealthiest man in the world. And when I thought about that, I started to kind of just get queasy. I thought, can you imagine being the richest man in the world? Not just down on this earth. How, what would that be like? The pressure to not blow it, to perform. How do you know how to steward that kind of wealth? And not just here, horizontally, but what made my heart sad was that one day he'll be held accountable. God will say, hey, I made you the richest man on earth. What did you do? What did you do for my kingdom? And and with excitement in his eye, because that's what God does, he affords us wealth and riches and says, what did you do? More so than monetary wealth, though. Jeff Bezos if that's your name. Is he, is he here today, by the way? Jeff Bezos? <laughs> Can't hurt to try. Anyway. <laughs> Maybe he's streaming online. <laughs> Probably not. And Lord, we pray for Jeff Bezos. No, we do. More than monetary wealth. Listen, Christians. Please listen. Jesus preaches this sermon, and in verse 27, you guys know it, we started there for three or four weeks in a row, and in verse 27, he says, but to you who hear, I say to you, love your enemies, and he goes into this teaching, but to you who hear, the impetus on that, the importance, the, the weight, the, the, the point is, if you have an ear to hear, you're tuned into heaven, you got it, your sins are forgiven, the resources of Jesus are now yours, your co-heirs, you who hear, here's what you gotta do. Because you've been given the wealth of eternity, of heaven, of the kingdom, and he tells us what to do with it. Did you know that you're more wealthy than Jeff Bezos, according to heavenly principles? You have more afforded to you, more responsibility put on you, more opportunity given to you right now today, sitting where you're at. Now, if I were to tell you, I use this illustration, I used it on Wednesday up in Vancouver at Crossroads. 
that if in 2018, January 1st, I was going to flood your account with $10 billion, billion, ten, if I was going to do that, right now, everything would change. Okay, your, your joy would increase, your frown would be turned upside down, your smile, your energy, the adrenaline, the dopamine, you would start to call people, you would actually stop calling some people, you know, you would, things would just change, you would let little things go, you would fix big things, you would start to live differently from now until January 1st, I guarantee you, even though, listen, you hadn't seen a dime, not even one cent had been afforded to you, yet everything would change, knowing that the payoff was yours that you are going to have it given to you. So too the Lord declares that you are more than conquerors in Christ, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper, that all things that you go through will be redeemed and work together for good for those who love God, that he who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it, that there's no thing, height, depth, width, nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. All those are the promises and the wealth you have. And yet... Sometimes we don't live that way. We believe those promises. We want to in ethereally or whatever, but it doesn't necessarily translate to the way we live. Some of us still look like we were baptized in pickle juice. You know, it's like, have you been forgiven? Yeah, I guess so, you know. Are you going to heaven? Sure, why not, you know. And do, does God hear your prayers? Mm-hmm, yeah, what about it, you know. So, what are you talking about? You're the richest person in the world. And if you're like me, you're just kind of normal every once in a while. Maybe even below normal. Maybe even, and there's days where you're living where you're not even necessarily attractive on the outside, the way you live. And maybe you've even had this thought, my life's so tough. I don't wish anybody to walk in my shoes. They're really difficult. I've had that thought. So stressed out and bummed out and weirded out. Oh man, life's so, and the Lord would say to me, really Luke, is that tough, huh? I've really gone to bat for you. I've really done a lot of stuff for you. I've actually delivered you and I've actually equipped you. Jeff Bezos is very rich and has a lot of responsibility and hopefully he does well in his life and hopefully he enters the kingdom of heaven and is given that same words that you want to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on into your kingdom. But so you too, you and I who have ears to hear, who know the things of God, who've been given the riches. I say all that to say this. The sermon you're about to hear from Jesus Christ that I'm gonna to teach to you, there's gonna be some arguing in your flesh. I don't know if that's really what he meant. I don't know if we can really do that. I don't know if I'm gonna do that this week, maybe next week. And some of the things you'll hear, you'll quickly just say, I don't know if I want to or can afford to do that. Actually, I'm gonna to get to the sixth principle right now. Okay, the sixth principle is this. Truth plus obedience is a rock-solid foundation. You're going to get the truth today. It's not really going to be that hard. The obedience part, that's where most of us are going to fall off the tracks. The truth, the truth, the truth. The truth is right here. It's easy. It's will you obey. I actually know the truth pretty, pretty good. I study it for a living. It's my job. The, the Lord reveals it. It's, it's all right here. We get it. It's all, just, it's all prepared. My, my big problem in life is obeying it. Do I really believe it? So this sermon is going to be kind of rough kind of intense. And I don't think Jesus is just messing around and kind of exaggerating and overstating. I think he's being very serious. Matter of fact, look at verse 31. He says, and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. He says, be proactive, not just reactive. So much of Christianity is what we don't do. Jesus says, no, that's easy, finding out what not to do. I don't smoke or chew or go with girls that do, you know. 
okay, that's not hard. What Jesus is saying here is not just a reactionary Christianity, but a proactive Christianity. Do unto others. Actually find a way that you can serve, a way that you can fit in. If, you're, if you, if you are, have $10 billion afforded to you, would you not, I, I pray you would, would you not immediately think, how many people can I bless? What can I do with this? What if you woke up every day, more than $10 billion, and just woke up and said, Lord, who do you want me to bless? Maybe, maybe it's the people I live with, for sure. Okay, if you have a family, it's them. They're the first ones God wants you to be extravagant towards. Bless them. How can I bless them? Maybe it's the people you're living next to or the people you work with. Do unto others. So much of our lives are spent just not getting entangled in the affairs of this world and just staying out of things and I don't want to be seen and I just want to kind of get through and nine to five and as soon as, okay, no one talked to me. I was, made it! And we go home. We're like, oh, man, that was so crazy. And the Lord says, why not, why not, why not live like you're rich? I've told you this story before. It gets old, but I'll tell it again. Of the guy when I was at Kohl's buying some cargo shorts or something, and he was standing right behind me and going up on his tiptoes. It was in Medford, and, and he was just had this kind of happy look on his face, and he was kind of creepy looking, to be honest with you. And, and just kind of, you know, just kind of. And finally, I made eye contact with him on accident, you know, and I gave him the gave him the chance to talk, and he just leaned forward. He's like, "I won the lottery," you know, all happy. And so finally, at that point, I became a creep too, and I was like, "Really? Let's be friends," you know. And, uh, you know, sorry for ignoring you, you know. And, and, and he said, and the thing is, is that he had won the lottery three years earlier. This wasn't something that just happened. This is his new life. And everywhere he went, obviously, he just, that's what defined him still. And I didn't know the total amount. He never gave me any money. It didn't actually end well for me. But anyways, <laughs> you can see it in his life. And I wonder how many of us, man, what if you just woke up? What am I going to do today? Did you know that the fruit of the Spirit is love? It grows naturally, supernaturally in you. The Bible goes on to describe the fruits of the Spirit with patience, joy, meekness, and all the rest of the descriptions of love. Okay, love's just the one fruit. There's only one fruit with eight descriptions, okay? Eight adjectives describing love, just one. But then it goes on to end that portion of Scripture in Galatians chapter 5, and it says, of which there's no law. There's no limit. You can produce love. How, how much is too much for my spouse? There's no limit. How much love is too much for my kids? There's no limit. How much love for my neighbor? There's no limit. You can't, it feels irresponsible at times to just love people for free, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel irresponsible? Like, well, I would love you more, but I don't want to get crazy, you know? And I, I got to be a good steward of this love. I might run out, you know? And it just feels irresponsible. <clears throat> the Lord says, no, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. As a matter of fact, he kind of splits this up and goes down people's row and he says this. He says, but if you, verse 32, you love those who love you, that's easy, he says, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners love those who love them. He's not impressed. You, you love lovable people or you love your buddies, you know? By the way, uh, when the Bible instructs us to pursue hospitality, okay, it's speaking of people that aren't our best friends already, okay? Speaking of even strangers and those that we don't know yet. It's easy to have my buddies over and people that I really like, and that's not necessarily hospitality. That's just friendship. But the Bible says to actually love those who are unlovable or you don't know. He goes on to make it even more clear. Verse 33, if you do good to those who are gonna do good to you, what credit is that? Even sinners do that, man. As a matter of fact, he's calling us to a whole other level. He says this, verse 34, and if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But here's where it gets action. Love your enemies. Okay? Do good. 
Lend, hoping for nothing in return. This is not speaking for principle, but more for interest and why you're generous with people. You're always trying to make money on them, which, by the way, I didn't share this with the first service, probably won't with the second service, but I was thinking about Newport in regards to the eclipse and even how it's kind of a bust. Like, we expected all this, you know, whatever hoopla. And part of me looked at some of the folks, and if you're one of them, I apologize for pointing this out. Sorry, not sorry. That, that tried to rent their front yards for $2,000. <laughs> and when I saw that online for a couple, I was like, really? And I'm not trying to boast at all. But one of my thoughts early on was, you know what we should do with the church? We should get signs printed up that say free, safe eclipse parking right here. Just come park right here. We got porta potties cut. Why? We're not going to make enough money on anybody to do anything special at all, so why not be generous? And I just wondered, maybe no one's coming to our town because everyone's hoping to gouge some people, you know, let's gouge these eclipse seekers, you know. Anyways, I'm not going to share that with the next service either, so <laughs> just my own thoughts, my own thoughts. My bad. Well, he says here, lend, lend to those who you're not going to try and gouge, okay? Just be generous. And by the way, this isn't a, a blanket verse for giving uh, to everybody who asks of you without any thought for their life or your own. What he's speaking for is a generosity of the heart, okay? If you have what somebody needs and they need what you have and it makes sense, just be generous. Help people where you can and where they need. Use discernment. Again, this isn't a blanket rule for just writing out checks to everybody. By the way, it talks about giving to those and lending to them, hoping for nothing in return. You could, if you want, take this verse, write it out, and send it to your mortgager and see if they're okay with this kind of, kind of just a new, you know, refinance program. Like, hey, I don't know if you guys know the red letters or not, but, you know, try it. See if it works. It won't. But anyways, anyways, verse 35. I want you to catch this. I'm talking way too much. You guys are listening slow. Here we go. He says this, do these things, okay? And your reward will be great. Verse 35, right in the middle. And you will be the sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Now, there's a bunch in that verse. But the first thing I want you to consider is that Jesus Christ and the Father are kind to the unthankful and the evil. This should just kind of mess with you. Because I'm neither kind to unthankful or evil. I just, I don't want to do it. Oh, you're unthankful? See ya. Oh, you're evil? Yeah, I'm not even going to mess with you. And I look at the father who's over there like cooking food for the unthankful and the evil. And I look behind me and I'm all pious and proper and responsible with my resources of love and generosity. I'm not going to just give it to a bunch of hooligans. And what's Jesus and the father doing? Giving it to a bunch of hooligans. And I, just, I sit humbled and corrected and say, oh, I'm so stingy. I'm such a miser when it comes to love and joy. I just, and, and he, why would Jesus say this? He's good enough to be God and judge over all. He sees the unthankful and the evil. He said, I'll deal with it, Luke. That's my problem, not yours. You don't have enough info to be a good judge. You don't have enough understanding of their lives to understand why they're here. You, though, can love them. I'll deal with it. I'll deal with their smallness, their unthankfulness, their evil. And the Lord would liberate us to be those who are kind to people that maybe won't return it to you. Well, how am I going to do that? He promises us in verse 35, your reward will be great in heaven. Okay, the whole rewards theology, I'm not going to build on it, but it's true. God says if you live like you're going to be blessed in heaven, you're going to be blessed in heaven. Do what you do now, okay, for the praises of God and for the rewards that you will receive in heaven. This is worth meditating on. 
Why would I do good? Why would I forgive? Why would I love? Why would I be generous now? I, I've kind of got to play my cards safe. And the Lord says, Th- those cards won't last forever. You're going to heaven. Don't you want to get there and be rewarded? Do what you do for those heavenly rewards. I would say this. Look at verse 35. He says that you will become and call the sons of the Most High. Verse 36 says, therefore be merciful just as your father is also merciful. Now he talks about the father. He talks about being a son. He says, if you do these things, you'll be called the son of the most high and you'll be rewarded. It's awesome. You'll actually become an heir, a son, a child of the most high and do it because your father does it. Stop right there, eyes up here and pay attention. Principle number one, believe it or not. God's kids should act like God's kids. Okay? Just write it down, think it through. If you're God's kid, you're a father, be merciful for your father's merciful. Well, I don't wanna, did you know that you, are probably a little bit, maybe a lot bit right now, like your earthly mom and dad. You just, you're like them. You kind of walk the same. You look the same. You say the same stuff, man. You just, you kind of like the same. It's just weird, man. Some of the stuff I do at my house is Joe Frechette reincarnated. I mean, the thing, the snacks I eat at night, I'm like, where's how'd Joe get here, you know, and the things. And, and Joe, what's Joe doing here? My, I love my dad, so it's okay. Like I, but it's weird. So too, even more so than your earthly parents. God says, you're my kid. Here's what I do. This is what you will do. As you grow in Christ, you will become more like Christ. As you grow in God, you'll become more like God. You'll look like the Father in the way that he has his attributes laid out for this world. This is a good thing. But the question is, is do you resemble your Father in heaven right now? That's the question. The principle is God's kids will act like God's kids. The question is, is would you easily right now be mistaken for a heavenly child? Okay, my kids, you can tell they're Luke's kids. Oh, that's Luke, that's a, that's a freshette right there. Look at that nose, you know what I'm saying? That's a freshette right there, you know? You get the freshettes, we got to, you know, we can tell, we can see. Would you right now be rightly identified as a child of God? Just a question. This is kind of a heavy-hitting sermon. Like, I don't know, I, you know? Maybe by the way I drive, no. Maybe by the, by the way I, no. Maybe, I'm at church, well, that does, okay, that's good. What about the way you live? Your father's merciful, okay? God's kids are gonna look like God's kids. Second one is very similar. Second principle is found in verse 37. It says this, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Here's what we're to do, forgive and you will be forgiven. He says, judge not and condemn not. By the way, this is the most popular verse in the world by non-believers, okay? People who know nothing of the Bible know this verse. Judge not, says not to judge. He says, hey, judge not. You know, they're always quoting this verse. You've heard this verse quoted by everybody. Judge not, you know, when, when you go to say that something's wrong. Let me, let me just tell you that there is plenty of stuff that is wrong and requires our judgment, not our condemnation. That's above your pay grade, okay? But Christians are called to have discernment and judgment of what is right and wrong. As a matter of fact, he'll say in a few verses, you can tell a tree by its fruit, okay? It's easy. You can, you can identify. There is a principle in Christianity that we as Christians must judge for identification, what's right and wrong. But we are not to, we are forbidden to judge for condemnation. That is not our job because we don't have all the details. We don't know everything. We don't know what God's doing. We don't know what's been done. So he says to you and I, judge not, condemn not, but here's what I want you to do, forgive. As a matter of fact, look at it again. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Principle number two, forgiven people should forgive people. Wouldn't it be radical if you were just a peacemaker as a believer? Wouldn't it be so radical if you were so forgiven 
of your sins, so forgiven of your trespasses, that the only thing you wanted to do was liberate people from their fear, condemnation, and shame by forgiving them. That you had so much wealth, resources of heaven, all you wanted to do was see people forgiven. Oh man, I just, I wish you knew you're forgiven. I wish you knew, oh. If you had $10 billion, you would be writing checks. I guarantee you would. For people, oh, your water bill, your rent bill, oh, oh, I wanna help. God's given to you forgiveness and he's asked you to give it out to others. I'm gonna give you more than just money. I'm gonna give you forgiveness. Did you know that every single person in the whole world is begging to be forgiven? Begging to be set free from something that haunts them? Something that, hold, that plagues them? Oh, that thing I hope no one ever finds out about or hope it doesn't come up again. And God says, if you've been forgiven, would you go liberate others? It's like when you're playing freeze tag with your friends and you've been frozen. Oh, and freeze, you know, oh, you know, when you get unfrozen, the whole idea of freeze tag is unfreeze as many people as you can. Liberate. I used to love that game. Just touching people, you know, unfrozen. Un- forgiveness. Now he tells us what not to do. Don't judge and don't condemn. And can I just set you free from this if that's you? There are some people in my life that, that thought, uh, they're so negative. Everything that happens, they've got a judgment here and a condemnation here. And I'll get an email from someone, just see the name. I'm like, oh, uh, you know, I, can't, I don't know if I can open that. You know, just judgment, why I'm wrong, you know. And I'll, there's certain people even in this town, just all they do is judge. And Jesus, how about, how about you don't do that? Can you just not do that? Don't judge, don't condemn. That's not your job. Let God be God. But he tells us what to do, forgive. Walk in that attitude of gratitude, that liberation mentality, that spirit. So the first principle, again, was as God's kids should look like God's kids. Second principle is forgiven people, forgive people. Third principle is givers, or should I say it this way, getters uh, should be givers. Okay, look at verse 38. He says, give, this is to Christians, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and it will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Stop right there, eyes up here. The third principle is, is that getters should be givers. Those who've received should be those that reciprocate. If God's given to you, and he has, he looks at you and says, what are you gonna do now? And he asks you and I, are you gonna be generous? And if you're generous, you know what the Lord says? He goes, I'm gonna match that. I'm gonna double up, okay? You can't outgive me. He challenges us that in the book of Malachi. You will not be able to outgive me. And he's not talking a percentage rate. Some people wanna know, well, what should I get? Listen, ask him, what should I give? It doesn't even matter what you give, by the way. It just matters how you give. And I'm, I'm starting to learn this because I've been a giver my whole life. My parents taught me to give right from the first fruits. As soon as I get a paycheck, 10% of that, and I've been doing that ever since. I still do it to this day. It's not a problem of what I give, but the Lord is teaching me now how to give and how to be generous, how to just give without any thought for yourself. And I, just, I don't want to stress about this. I just want to give. And the Lord says, I love a cheerful giver. So, so even ask him today, getters, those who've received, that's you all, are givers. And so I'd ask, ask you that question. How are you giving right now? Is it generous? Is it superfluous? Did you see the way that God describes what he's gonna do? He says, you're gonna get the same way you give. And then he describes it, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing, spilling all over your shirt. I don't know if you read that part. It's in your bosom, ah, you know. Overflowing, this is so countercultural. When you go to the store later today, actually you won't go to the store for like a month because you already went. (laughs) When you run out of food in September, you know, when that happens, you'll go back. 
you'll buy something, okay? Chips or macaroni and cheese or something. And, and right there printed on the package, you'll say, settling may have occurred, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you open it up and it is three quarters air in one quarter product. You know what I'm saying? Everything you buy, you're like, it couldn't have settled that much, you know? And when you open that bag of chips, you're like, where are the chips? Oh, they're way down there, you know, a bunch of air, you know. Listen, God says it's different. He says, when you open up my bag of chips, okay, the chips come flying out. They're just under pressure, like chips everywhere, superfluous, generosity flowing, making a mess. That's fun to me. That's exciting. I think Pringles might still do that when you open them. I'm not sure. Maybe that was a snake. In the, anyways, I digress. I digress. What if we all just said, Man, Lord, Lord, I want to be generous. I want to be a giver. I want to be, and I want you to give to me then in crazy ways. Lord, I just, I'm going to trust you in this. Because again, your flesh is going to argue, well, I can't give too, <laughs> I can't give too much. Okay. What if you just be generous and ask the Lord to give you a generous heart? Again, I'm learning this, okay? I'm, I'm going to give because God's taught me to, and that's fine, that's easy, but the heart behind it. Is, is still developing. I remember one time I was at the Ashton Christian Fellowship and I was putting my tithe check in the, uh, the basket as it went by. And the Lord stopped me. He's like, where's your heart at? And I was like, oh. And he's like, he, and the Lord just said, your heart's not in it. Thanks for being faithful. That's cool. Like, that's easy. <laughs> but your heart, be, be stoked. Did I not give you tons more than you're giving away right now? Are you not taken care of? Are you not pleased? And I was like, all that. Yeah, I am. Thank, thank you, Lord. Ah, so good. I just had missed the joy of what I was already doing. The joy. The other day we were driving up to Vancouver, me and I took a bunch of young guys in, in my car to go up to Crossroads and teach on Wednesday, and we stopped at Black Rock Coffee there at the junction of Highway 34 and I-5 and got some coffee. And you know how when you get coffee at a drive through they're instructed to ask you, what are you doing today? Even though, they, even though they don't care, you know what I'm saying? Like, they don't, what are you doing today? And so I looked right at her and I said, we're about to go up and preach the gospel, you know? And so one of them's like, what, the gospel? And the other one's like shut down right away, like, oh, you know, oh, you know. It was awesome, and I was just kind of feeling spicy, and I was like, oh, yeah, I got my Bible right here. I was like, you ever seen a Bible like that? And I showed her my Bible, and I showed her the kids, you know. I was like, there's my kids right there, and I showed her all the, you know, they're like, oh, you're freaking out, trying to get us our drinks as fast as we can. <laughs> get these guys out of here, you know. And after it was all done, I was like, did you get my card back? Because I paid for everyone's drinks. Did you get my card? Oh, I did. Okay, I didn't sign. No, no signature. I was like, okay, well, how do I tip? And there's no, and I'll, I reached my pocket, and I knew I had a 10. That's all I had is a 10, got cash, and I was like, well, that's a, kind of a big tip for coffee. I was like. That's a fun tip right there. I wish it was a 20. I said, here's a, here's a tip, you know, and you connect the dots later. I didn't say that to her, but I connect the dots, generosity and fun. And as we leave, you know, hoping that the Lord would intervene and take that love and just a little bit of generosity and fun and piece it together. And maybe they're thinking later, man, those guys were Christians and they were normal, well-ish, you know, normal-ish. And maybe, no, they weren't, they were weird, you know. But I, I did that on purpose, Generous, generosity. You know, and, and is the Lord, can the Lord afford that? It's really how you give, not what you give. So that question I would ask you then is, is how are you giving? Um, you know, the, the Lord will, will direct you into what that looks like. We all want a percentage, you know, and that, that does help something, but it makes us legalist. I would say may your heart be set free to give as you've been given to, and the Lord will give back more than you could ever understand. Look at verse 39. He says this, and, and he spoke a parable to them. Now, I wonder if this was right in transition with all these teachings. Guys, don't just love those who love you back. Love the unlovable and the evil. Okay, do that. And give and forgive and don't judge and stop condemning all this crazy stuff. And I wonder if he looked at them and they're all like deer in the headlights, you know? Like, does he really expect us to do all this? 
They weren't just the curious. I believe they were the committed. And so he gives them this parable now, trying to maybe wake them up. He asks a question, verse 39. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? Let me ask you a question. Can the blind lead the blind? The answer is yes, but it's not going to end well. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's going to be a YouTube video. Like, don't do it. Okay? You can do it. Don't do it. But you can do it, but don't do it. And I believe what he's saying is, the next principle, leaders, my people, leaders got to lead, okay? You got to get some of this stuff under your belt if you're going to be a leader. Otherwise, it's going to be like the blind leading the blind. It's easy for you and I to go outside right now and to see blind people spiritually. Um, how hard is that? It's easy. Identify the blind. You know, and the Lord says, cool, now what are you going to do? Do these things that I just taught you. Otherwise, it's the blind leading the blind. If you're not going to walk in a transformed, super rich, generous life, if you're not going to do that, it's just like the blind leading the blind. As a matter of fact, he uses an illustration you've all heard before. He goes on and says this. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will, be, trained will be like his teacher. He's saying, get this under your belt and you'll become like me. Verse 41, here's what you guys have all heard. And why do you look at the speck? It's in your brother's eye but do not perceive the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that's in your eye. When, when you yourself, you don't even see the plank that's in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye also. Stop right there, eyes up here. Such a profound word for some of us here today. You're a believer. You're going to heaven. You've been given the resources, but you're blind. You, you just, you're, you're a miser. You're not living like it. You're, oh man, I haven't forgiven people. I haven't set people free. I've been so judgmental. Man, I've I just been so unloving. The Lord's been so merciful to me. Do I even, do I look like a child of God? I don't know if I do. And the Lord would say, I want you to help people with the speck, the sawdust in their eye, but you got a whole lumber yard coming out of your dome, you know? You, your peepers are all blocked up like a sawmill. And let's be honest, Christians. You get a few things under your belt. You figure a few things out. It's so easy to spot other people's weaknesses. You know, oh, you're doing it wrong. You know, oh, your marriage, oh, yeah, you're doing it all wrong. Well, how are you doing? Well, I'm divorced. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, oh, you're raising your kids all wrong. You know, how are your kids? They're in jail. You know, it's like, you know, oh, yeah, you don't know how to use your money? Yeah, I know all about money. Really? Well, how much do you have? Well, I'm homeless. You know, I don't have any. I'm serious, though. And there's something within each one of us that wants to tell people how to do what they're doing better because they're doing it wrong, even though we ourselves, man, we are lumberyards, you know, cranking out wood. And the Lord says, how about just own a few of your things? Just own it, and I will use you. I will use you once you find yourself dealing with the plank in your own eye. You want to be a leader? Leaders lead, because that's the fourth principle if you're not writing these down. Leaders got to lead, but you got to lead yourself first. I want my kids to see this in my life. I want to see it in my own life. I want my wife to see it in my life. I want to do these things. And the Lord will be faithful to identify that log and help you. Here's the fifth principle is that good trees produce good fruit. Look at verse 43. He says, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. It's, just, it's impossible. It can't happen, right? For, for every tree is known by its own fruit. For men don't gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. Verse 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Operate their eyes up here. What Jesus is really teaching for here is life that is evidenced by the way we live. Out of the abundance of the heart, that's right here, the hidden area, 
the mouth speaks. Now let me just back it up a little bit. The world teaches today behavior modification. Okay, we need to change the fruit. The fruit's bad. We've got to change it. Legislation, training, medication, whatever. Let's, we gotta, the, the fruit's all jacked up, okay? What, more, more, more gun laws, you know, more whatever laws. You raise the price of cigarettes. Let's, uh, the, the heart's all jacked up. Uh, they, I'm sorry, they don't say heart. Life's all jacked up. What Jesus in the Bible would teach is don't just address the fruit, okay? Because if the fruit's bad, the heart's bad. What Jesus teaches is that you need a new heart. You need an absolute new program deep within. And when you get a new program, and when you feed that heart, when you feed that life, when you feed your soul, it will produce fruit, and it'll be evidenced in the way you live and the way you even talk. Now, when I hear this verse, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, I instantly think of like, you know, potty talk kind of stuff. You know, like, oh, you said a cuss word, you know. I know what's going on in your heart now, you know. And I, I, it's kind of like super trivial stuff, like, oh, whoops, you know. And, and we think of some of the, the nasty stuff that comes out of our lips at times, and, and really it's true. It's indicative of what's kind of brewing down here. But I'd like to spin it to a positive side. In, instead of so much wondering, am I, am I saying negative stuff? And when we all do, we all slip. We, it's, it just shows us where we're at. Wouldn't it be awesome if our hearts were so dedicated to the Lord that we weren't worried about saying wrong stuff, but that we were set free to just say positive stuff more, to be absolutely set free to be kind, generous, superfluous, and extravagant with our words? Sometimes I feel, again, so irresponsible being nice to people with my words. Like I just feel, I don't know if they deserve that kind of nice compliment, and they did a really good job, but I'm not quite sure if I should say good job or not. What is wrong with my heart? Just let them know they did a good job. Bless them, love them. It's free out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he's saying a tree is known by its fruit. So I guess my question to you and the fifth principle would be, how's your heart? It'll be seen in your fruit, okay? Again, the principles of the Lord are timeless. They just stand alone. The applications are up to the Holy Spirit today to sit next to you and say, yeah, I guess my heart's all jacked up. My heart, my, my, I just, I'm, not, I'm a negative Nancy. I'm a Debbie Downer. I just, I'm so, I'm so small and so short. And maybe you don't have a, a potty talk problem. You're not cussing and swearing, but you're, 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 you're bringing people down. You guys know the Proverbs say right around verse 1 of chapter 28 that the power of life and death are in the tongue. What are you going to choose? Life or death? Life or death? Today I put something on Facebook. It was a reply to a, to a, somebody else's dumb comment, and I put it on there. I just thought, you know what? That, that's probably not even good for me. To, I just, I took it off. I, 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 I just, I don't want it, to, it's, I was, I was right, by the way, just so you all know. <laughs> Still am. But it was just, it was just negative. It wasn't positive. I was like, what? I don't want to be, you know, sucked into that, and even though I'm easily sucked into that, I don't even get sucked into it. I just kind of like, wow, I walk into that. It looks negative. I like that, you know? <laughs> and the Lord would say, no, no, don't do that. Well, the, the, the last principle, the sixth principle, Truth plus obedience equals a solid rock foundation. Every problem you have right now is boiled down to one of two categories. Truth, that is, where'd you get your, what, what do you believe? What, what, what did you hear? What, what's, what, what, what are you building on? You know, what are you building on? And number two, are, are you building? Are you, are you going to do it? What, what is, is it true? Yeah. And are you obeying it? Truth and obedience. Jesus says this. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do the things which I say? He says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, ooh, that's who we want to be. 
I'll show you whom he is like. Oh, he's like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against the house, it could not shake it for it was founded on the rock. Truth plus obedience. This guy came to the Lord, knee bent. What do I do? Well, love and don't judge. Okay. And be merciful and kind and generous. All right. And, and give and don't worry about anything. I'll just give. You give and I'll take care of you. It'll be overflowing. Okay. And let the fruit of your mouth be sourced and, and indicative of what's going on deep within your heart and, and hear everything I've said to do and do it. And the person went out and, okay. <laughs> My parents went through some marriage counseling years and years ago. It worked. And they went back the second time, Pastor Frank Parrish. And they sat in front of him. And he said, well, how'd it go? And my mom and dad said, we did everything you said. And Frank Parrish, Pastor Frank Parrish, almost fell out of his chair. He said, you, he said, you, you, you mean you did it? Yeah, we did it. Well, what happened? Well, it worked. We're doing way better. And Frank, Frank Parrish, he said, I give people counsel all the time. I tell them what to do. And nobody does it. Nobody does it. He didn't say it that way. But he couldn't. The story, it worked. Why? Because you did it. You get in the word. It's, gonna tell, it's, it's not that hard. Truth is not that hard. It's all right here. The big roadblock for y'all, me, is am I going to, do I believe it? Do I really want to do it? Obedience. My kids know the rules at our house, okay? They're pretty basic rules, okay? Don't do stupid stuff. That's the number one rule, okay? Just don't do stupid stuff. And they're always doing stupid stuff. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, always oh, doing stupid. And it, it's just, they don't want to obey it. They're learning, and I'm helping them to learn. And so, too, the Lord would say, hey, it's pretty basic. Matter of fact, Peter, again, would hear this sermon so many times that when he wrote his book, he would include the same principles and say, do it. I'm going to remind you until you do it. I'm going to help you until you do it. My grace is sufficient until you do it. My grace is actually sufficient if you don't do it. I'm so good. I'm so much better, bigger than you. I'm so much kinder than you, even if you blow it, little sheep. Even if you get out of bounds, little pilgrim, I got you. I love you. I love you. But if you do it, it's going to be like a house built with a foundation. Sounds good to me. He says this. It's a warning in verse 49. Buddy, he who hears it and he doesn't do anything, he's like a man who, the, the guy who hears these words and just leaves the exact same way he came in. Doesn't forgive that person that the Lord brought to your attention. Doesn't decide to just be generous. Doesn't decide to stop judging. Doesn't decide to do anything to that person. He hears and leaves. This is what's going to happen to that guy. He's going to build his house. He's going to build it on the earth without a foundation. And the, and the stream is going to beat vehemently, and immediately it's going to fall. And the ruin of that house is going to be great. So what's your main problem here today? I bet you mostly it's not a truth problem. You get the basics. You don't know everything, but you know enough to hold you accountable. You got enough. Your problem is that you need God's help to be obedient, to, to bless people, to serve people, to forgive people. Did you know that if you forgive somebody today, you're not condoning what they've done? It's not forgiveness. You're, you're not even minimizing it. Well, it's not that big a deal. Oh, it's a big deal. But, but you're doing your part. You're forgiving them and letting God judge them. That's his job. For, forgiveness is huge. It'll set you free. They say that unforgiveness is like making poison for your enemy and drinking it yourself. It just, unforgiveness. There's, there's so much going on that you don't even know behind the scenes. And if you let the Lord be God, you're so rich today. I'm going to have the worship team come up and join us and lead us in a closing.
song. Father, we all repent together, each one of us for being the richest people in the world. Jeff Benzo has nothing on this group. We are more rich than he, and it's because of you. You are so rich and so kind and so generous. Lord, you are so rich and you are so kind and you are so generous. And you are so rich and you are so kind and you are so generous. And Lord, you're so patient with us who maybe don't even realize it. We forget it. We abuse it. And so, Lord, we all repent and we say, Lord, would you forgive us? We think of that parable in Matthew 18 where the man who was in debt a couple hundred bucks and called on it and asked for mercy and was forgiven. Okay, the king forgave him. Okay, I'm just going to let you go. And then he went out and he found a guy that owed him five bucks and he held him accountable and he called the cops on him, ruined his whole life. He, he, just, he didn't reciprocate kindness very well. And the king found out about it and he wasn't pleased. And I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for being jerks, for being shallow, for being small. Lord, it's our human nature. We, we know that. It, we're just prone to be jerks. And yet you are so much bigger. And so I apologize, Lord. I'll be the first to repent from, from the bottom of my heart. Say, I want to be a king's kid. I want to be known as God's kid. I want to I resemble my father who was merciful. So Lord, let mercy reign in this house. Let kindness flow. Let it flow to us first because we need it and then through us to the rest of the world because they need it. May the church not be so condemning and judgmental. That's just, it's above our jurisdiction. You're gonna do just fine there. You've asked us to love and forgive and give kindness, grace, mercy, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which is love. So I just pray that that would happen miraculously here in this place today, within our marriages, within our families, within our neighbors, within our jobs, within our schools, within our community, that, Lord, it would be sensed and it would be felt and it would be real. May you do business with us that we would do business with others, the business being of love. Thank you, Jesus, that you taught this sermon over and over and over because <laughs> I need to hear it. I'll, I'll need to hear it tomorrow again. And so we worship you. Thank you that that love, Lord, was demonstrated on the cross, that you died, that you poured your blood out and broke your body so we might be saved and filled and be billionaires on earth because of your great love bestowed upon us. We do what we do now coming to the table, examining ourselves and rejoicing in your death, Lord, and celebrating, waiting for your return. We thank you for all you've done, Lord. Bless us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.